So what do y'all think Jesus is like? What, what do you think? Um, do you think he'd be a good dinner guest? Do you think uh, he's uh, somber and still? Do you, th- you think of him as, as strong and uh, maybe the strong silent type or the small giggly type? Uh, do you think he was funny? Uh, do you think he had a lot of friends? I don't know. I'm always kind of imagining those kind of things in my mind. Like, I'm, you remember the wedding feast of Cana? Up until this time, he's not done anything to reveal to anybody that he is the Messiah, and he's just kind of hanging out at a wedding feast, and he brought his friends. And I can just see him leaning up against a wall, and someone's like, well, so what do you do for a living? And he says, well, I'm a carpenter, but I'm contemplating a change. Uh, you know, change of career. Uh, I'm going to save the world. Uh, you know, he, he's interesting, and, and it's hard for us to just kind of get our finger on what he was like. Um, but we, what we can do is we can listen to him. Listen to him describe himself. He said, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Uh, he described his favorite description of himself or title that he took for himself was the son of man and he told us the son of man um, has come to seek and to save the lost he told us you know what it's like in the world man people love those titles they love that authority they love to wield authority over each other that's not what it's going to be with you you're going to serve Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. And finally, the the third time he describes himself as the Son of Man and, and tells us what he's like, he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. He said, you know, y'all rejected the, the, sons of, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist because he lived out in the wilderness and, and he wore camel hair and you, you thought he must have a demon or something. And, and now the Son of Man has come eating and drinking and he eats so much they call him a glutton. He drinks or he's around drinking so much that they assume he's a, a wine bibber and, and they reject him for that. He comes eating and drinking. He comes bringing joy to the feast. He comes bringing joy to the feast. His first uh, miracle that he, he does to reveal his glory, John tells us, is at that wedding feast in Cana when, when the, the bridegroom runs out of uh, wine and there's going to be this huge uh, embarrassment. It's going to be a shame. Uh, it's going to just wreck this couple's beginning as a couple and he quietly goes to the servants and he says fill up these jars these enormous jars that hold between 20 and 30 gallons of water he says fill them up to the brim and he turns them into wine he brings 180 gallons of wine to the wedding well y'all know the joke right come to a wedding with a bottle of wine, you're being a nice guy. If you come to a wedding with a 12-pack, you're saying, hey, let's have a party. If you come to a wedding with 180 gallons of wine, you're saying, I am the party. 
The party has arrived. That's who the, we, there will be joy in my presence. I have come to bring joy. I have come to bring life. I have come to, to spread out a feast and invite you to the feast. And that's what Jesus reveals himself as doing. He is providing a feast. Uh, a few months ago, I, I was sitting with some friends at Smoke, and whenever I can get the people uh, to, to agree to it, it, Smoke's a restaurant down Cherry Street, and uh, I think it's the, the most fun meal in town if you just get the butcher's block. It's a big old block, and there's a huge steak and a huge pork chop and a huge piece of fish and a sausage, and they put a potato in the middle for some reason. And, uh, and you just feast and you talk, and you laugh, and you, you, it's just something about eating off of the same plate. It just, it, it forces you to just kind of bubble up and share yourself, and, and your, your soul gets happy. And, and uh, one of the guys who was eating with us, he, he looked, he said, you know what my favorite thing in the world is? My favorite thing is this right here. Being around a t- table with good food and good friends and just enjoying each other. You know that that was also Jesus' favorite thing? That was his favorite thing. He does it all the time. The entire book of Luke, he's basically either going to a meal or coming back from a meal. He eats a meal to start his ministry with a tax collector of all things. The last thing he does in his public ministry as he's going to Jerusalem with the triumphal entry and, you know, the palm branches and the donkeys and all that, right before he goes, he looks up in a tree and he sees a tax collector and he says, you, I want to eat with you today. What is the last thing he do with his disciples? Eats a meal. What's the first thing he does with his disciples after he's resurrected from the dead? He says, hey, let's bring me some fish. Let's eat. And the very, very last thing he does when he's restoring Peter, he, set, he, he prepares a meal for them, a, a charcoal fire, and he broils fish. He says, let's eat. The man just loved to eat, and he loved to eat with people. And, and what I want you to see is the beauty of that. You see... A meal is not a metaphor. A meal is not a symbol. A meal is, it's a meal. And it involves all the senses. You see it, you smell it, you taste it, you feel it. If it's cooking, you you hear it. It it just engulfs you in in this moment together. And the kingdom of God is a meal. What are we called to on that great and final day when when Jesus raises us up from the dead? He calls us to a feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. That is what we're looking forward to. The the role of of Jesus applying that feast for us, I I don't want you to, to underestimate it. It's really interesting when you think about it. What was the first sin? It was a meal. It was at Eve sneaking up a, a, a fruit, eating it by herself, hiding, then giving it to Adam, and him hiding, 
And it resulted in alienation. It resulted in loneliness. It resulted in hiding from God and hiding from each other. It resulted in accusations, finger pointing, and, and pain and agony. And, and all of the, the awful things that sin has brought into the world, including death. And yet, Jesus redeems us around a meal. Healing what's been broken. And he invites us. The good news I have for you today is that Jesus is throwing a feast and all sinners are welcome. Jesus is throwing a feast and only sinners are welcome. Please stand as we read from Luke chapter 5. He's called uh, Levi. Levi's left his uh, tax collector's booth. And he says this, Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with, and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And they said to him, and Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And, disciple, and Jesus said to them, can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Jesus has come to, to invite us to a feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And sinners are invited. He has come to invite us to a feast. He's the bread and the wine. And only sinners are invited. Uh, first thing I want you to see about this text is the shock. The Pharisees and the scribes, now it's all, you know, y'all know by now, you've grown up in the church, most of you, and you know the Pharisees are the bad guys. But you need to know that these are the po people that folks like us associate with. Right? They are our kind of people. These are the people with, who never missed Sunday school, had perfect attendance. These are the, the, the people who volunteered for vacation Bible school, people who uh, host community groups, who, who, who do things right. And they're the people who care. They care about things being done right. And it offends them that Jesus isn't doing things right. He, he's doing the wrong things. He's, he is touching unclean people. He is being around unclean people. He says, uh, they, they look at him and they see him uh, when, a, when a leper, someone just stricken with leprosy. And in those days, um, in those days, they assumed that if you had a disease, it was because either you had sinned or your parents had sinned. You'd clearly done something wrong. We essentially do the same thing today, but we're not quite as overt about it. And, uh, and Jesus heals him, but he heals him by touching him. By touching him. 
That's wrong. And they're bothered by that. It's not, they were told that if they touched somebody in the Old Testament, they were told that it would make them unclean. Now, you, you need to know, so I know some of you, uh, a lot of you, most of the women in the church are reading through the Bible uh, together. And I know you're in Leviticus right now, and I just want to say, hang in there, it gets better. Um, but uh, you need to know that there's a distinction between uncleanness and sin. Sin is doing something wrong. Uncleanness means you're not perfect, you're not pure, you're not fit to come before the Lord. And, and the whole point of the Old Testament is pretty much every, or Leviticus there, is pretty much everything makes you unclean. And Jesus is here to cleanse you. The sacrifices cleanse you. But the Pharisees kind of, you know, made that switch in their mind and said, okay, well, anything that makes me unclean, I, I must not do. And, and the further I stay away from the unclean, the cleaner I am. And so they took pride in, in not coming anywhere near uh, um, lepers, people with leprosy. I say, I say people with leprosy because I'm afraid you're going to think leopards. It's like it has nothing to do with uh, big cats, right? It's, it's lepers, um, people with leprosy. And, and they would brag about how far they had stayed away from people with leprosy. They would say, one, one, one rabbi in those days said, I throw rocks at people with leprosy to keep them away from me. Uh, another rabbi bragged, if, if a leper has been on a street, I refuse to buy anything on that street. I don't want to come anywhere near places where they've been. Because I don't want to get, and it makes sense, right? The further I can stay away from the unclean, the cleaner I am, was their thinking. And Jesus thought completely differently. They would never invite unclean people to their meals. They would wash their hands in certain ways so that they would only touch their food with clean hands. And Jesus is eating a meal with unclean people, with sinners. He's eating with, with two kinds of people here, right? The sinners and the tax collectors. And it's, they're, they're just missing him. And they're asking him, and I love that phrase, right? They're, they're grumbling at him. Eating in those days was more than just, it, it, the same it is now, really. When you eat with someone, you're, you're getting to know them, you're, you're beginning, making fellowship with them. And uh, obviously they had no restaurants back then, and so you always ate in your house. And when you invite someone into your house, that's an act of fellowship. It's an act of friendship. I was even asking uh, some of the guys in the church, I was like, you know, do you ever do business dinners in your house? You know, are they always out in restaurants? And, and both of them said, well, if I do, if I invite them home, it's because it's, it's more than just a deal. It's a partnership. And that's what's going on here. Jesus is striking up a partnership with Levi. And Levi's bringing all of his friends. And it's weird. And Jesus says, well, I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And in that phrase, you can kind of see why they missed it, right? Why did they miss it? Because they were, their entire life was spent trying to avoid sin, and so they avoided Jesus. They, they missed it because they, they didn't see themselves as sinners. And if you're unwilling to ever see yourself in that way, then you're never going to go to the physician and ask him to heal you. Sometimes we just think too much of ourselves, and that's what causes us 
to stay lost, or in some cases to let things stay lost. Um, my aunt Janice, she was my my mom's best friend. Uh, they were two closest siblings, um, and my mom never went a day of her life without talking to Janice. And when I say talking to Janice, I don't mean like you know sending a text, "What's up?" I mean. They lived half a mile from each other and spent at least an hour on the phone together every day. I can't stress this enough. Every day. And um, back in the days of uh, normal of car keys without Apple tags on them, my, uh, my aunt lost her car keys. And she lost her car keys for a day and a half. And for a day and a half, she was stuck to the house. Like she could not leave. They were so lost. And uh, my mom had to go over and bring her some milk and eggs, which is fine. You always need an excuse to go to Janice's house. And um, Janice lived four houses down from the city park, and so I was playing around at the park, and uh, I walked to Janice's house because that's where mom was. And, uh, and, and Janice just, I mean, she was, you know that feeling of just having lost something, you can't find it. And you're just so mad, and you're mad at yourself, and you're mad at life, and you're just it's somebody's lost. I mean, it's got to be somebody else's fault, and you're longing for someone to blame, and you're just, you know that feeling. You've had that feeling. So that's her. She's sitting in the, sitting behind the kitchen table just mad. And I walked in. I said, oh, where'd you find your keys? Hits the table. I haven't found them. I said, well, they're hanging out of your trunk right now. Why didn't she look there? She would never be so dumb as to leave them hanging from the trunk. Nobody's so dumb as to leave their keys hanging from the trunk for a day and a half and be stuck in the house because you can't go anywhere because you don't have your keys because you left them hanging out of the trunk. You would never be so dumb as to need to look there. And when Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, he's, he's poking on the Pharisees and he's poking on us. And he says, have you forgotten that you need to be saved from your sin? Are you a sinner or are you far too righteous to need to look here? He's come to call. He's throwing a feast and he's inviting sinners, but he's only inviting sinners. And Jesus gives us a real peek into how he sees us here. He says, he describes sinners. They call people sinners. One translation, the New Living Translation says, the, the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. Uh, I love that phrase. You know, that rah, 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 rah. kind of sound like uh, Bear Bryant. Why do you eat with such scum? That's the way um, the New, Lo- New Living Translation puts it. Why do you eat with such scum? And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus sees sinners as being sick as having a disease that affects their soul, a disease that affects all their senses. That's a beautiful description of sin. It, it affects the way we see life. It affects, remember when, when COVID first started and, and everybody, and some people still are, uh, you know, just kind of freaked out about how it affected our senses. You couldn't, you lost your sense of smell. That's just weird. You lost your sense of taste. I remember that feeling of having, I knew there was a roll in my mouth because I could feel the mushiness, but there was no taste. 
And, and that, that's kind of a, a great description of sin. It just changes everything. It, it changes our appetites. It changes our senses. It, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we feel. We begin to think that, that good people are bad and bad people are good. We begin to think that, that things like greed and, and putting ourselves first and looking out for number one, that's good. And, and helping others and, and giving others a, a leg up is bad. And, and we just can't. We, we, we can't get through that. Things don't look right to us. It's affected us. And Jesus says, these are the people I've come to help. Specifically, I've come to help people like tax collectors. Tax collectors were outcasts. They, um, you know, they were the people who we're on the side of Rome. Uh, the best way to, the, only, the closest I can come to any kind of visualization is, uh, you know, during uh, World War II when, when Germany occupied France. Can you imagine how you would feel about your fellow citizens, your next door neighbor, if they went over to the other side and started wearing the swastika and, and helping Germany? You imagine just how you would despise that. You wouldn't want to be, you would not forgive that easily, if ever. And that's the way the Jews felt about the tax collectors. They had gone over to Rome. They had gone over to the eagle. They had gone over to these, these, this, this nation of, of wicked people. And they were outcasts. And I don't think there's anything worse than the feeling of being outcast. I really don't. I think it's as bad as it gets. Being the pariah, being the one that nobody will talk to, being the one that nobody wants to be around, feeling that way, feeling like no one, no one wants you here. I uh, was talking to my best friend recently whose 26-year-old daughter is... Uh, gone into residential rehab for an eating disorder. And um, she traces her problems back to being an outcast. She says, in first grade, the girls in my class came up to me. She just told him this story last week. The girls in my class came up to me in first grade, and they said, we'll make you a deal. We'll come to your birthday party if you'll stop playing with us at recess. From that point in her life, she felt excluded. You're not one of us. You don't belong here. Nobody wants you here. And Jesus specifically went to the outcasts. He specifically went to Levi. He went to Levi's booth, and he said, You, I want you. Follow me. He stopped under Zacchaeus' sycamore tree, and he says, You, I want to stay at your house tonight. You, I have come for you. Uh, th- this is not the only time that Jesus would receive this accusation. Um, in, the, in Luke 15, when he tells the parable of the prodigal son and the lost sheep, we're told that the reason why he uh, told those parables is because the Pharisees were murmuring, He welcomes sinners. He welcomes sinners. Have you ever heard better news than that? 
He welcomes sinners. I mean, if there was a, an epitaph, hopefully this church will never die, but if it does, I hope the epitaph over it is, we welcome sinners. Welcome sinners. I want you to, to, to just plant yourself in that good news. No matter how badly you fail, no matter how far short you have fallen, even on those days when you've done the things that you said you would never do again, and you might have some big apologies to make. I'm not saying you don't. I guarantee you, Jesus will welcome you because he welcomes sinners. The worst thing that Satan can do to you is accuse you of being a sinner. And when he does accuse you of being a sinner, you can say, yes, that's my invitation. That was the name written on the invitation, sinner. I don't see my name in the Bible. I've read every page. It does not say anywhere in there, God died, Jesus died to save Ricky. It's not in there. Dang it. But sinner. He gave himself up for sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we see there the, the precious approachableness of Jesus. He calls himself the physician. Let's look at the physician. He... he he draws himself out and he says, he says, it's for you. He, he comes and he says, I've come to call sinners to repentance, to call us to, to leave our sin. What, what is sin? Sin is, is a direction, in this case, it's a direction that we're traveling, trying to find fulfillment, trying to find identity, trying to find our life. And he's calling us to turn around. And find all those things in him. That's, that's the call to repentance. Come to me. Find those things in me. And we, we see two amazing things in this text. First of all, we see that he is um, he's the vaccine. When, when the, it's, it's the context. And if, when you get home today, go back and start reading on verse 12. But it says this, uh, a leper fought, fell down before him and begged him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. He touches him first, and then he heals him. And we see this incredible principle there that Jesus is the cleansing. When he, when, if you or I were to touch something unclean, we would become contaminated. We would become unclean. But when he touches the unclean, because he is sinless, because he is perfect, when he touches the unclean, he cleanses. He purifies. I read this. Uh, oh, who am I to kid? You know I don't read. I listened to LeVar Burton read um, a, a great story called vaccine season, vaccination season. And it, it, it's a science fiction, futuristic short story about a day when, when medicine, with healing, when vaccinations can be spread the way viruses are spread now. So if one person went and got the shot, everybody that he hugged, everyone that he embraced or kissed would catch the vaccine from them and be, and be immune to the diseases. And so they would just give the vaccines to the children, and the children would go and hug their mom and their dad and their grandparents, and, and, the, and the healing would be spread. And this one little boy had gotten a vaccine from, the, from one of the few diseases left, 
that's killing people. And his granddad has, has moved off to an island and doesn't want him to be around. And, and when the, the boy gets on a boat and he paddles to the island and the granddad says, No, don't come here. And he has to, he has to uh, bring the boat in by himself. His granddad won't help. And he says, Son, I, Grandson, I love you, but I'm not going to touch you. I don't want this vaccine. I'm ready to go. And they, they fight about that for a while, and finally the boy gives in. He says, okay, granddad, I understand. I'm sorry. I tried to force things on you. Can we just have a day where we do the normal stuff? Can I have one last day with my granddad? He said, sure. And so they you know, went through for a walk through the woods, and they ate pancakes together, and they did all the things that he loved to do with his granddad. And it was getting later in the day, and he said, can we just go fishing one last time? And they went fishing together. And while they were there, the boy slipped into the water. He slipped down the bank, and he fell into the water, and he hit his head, and he was unconscious, and he went under the water, and his granddad had to dive in, and when his granddad pulled him out, the boy wasn't breathing, and his granddad had to give him CPR. And when he was giving him CPR, of course, he saves his son's life, a grandson's life, and his grandson saved his life, gave him the vaccine. And, and that's, a, that's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does. When he comes into this diseased, sinful world, he comes as the vaccine. He comes as the medicine. And he dies to bring that medicine to all of us. But you can't get it from a safe distance. What, what, I, what I've learned in the last five years, probably more profoundly than ever before, is that Jesus will heal everything that you allow him to touch, but you have to let him touch it. And in order to let him touch it, you have to open up about it. You have to admit that it exists. And and that usually means, and by usually I mean always, means telling another person about it. It's just not enough to, to cover it up and try to deal with it yourself. Everything that's unacknowledged remains unhealed. Will you invite Jesus in to touch you? He'll touch your uncleanness, and he will cleanse it. As he says, I will be clean. And finally, he says this great little, I don't know, parable, metaphor, whatever you want to call it. They say, why are are your disciples not sad? They really should be sad. Why are they not fasting? We all know that spiritual people are sad or somber and they fast and they pray. But not yours. They eat and drink. And he says, you can't fast. The, the, the bridal party doesn't fast when the bridegroom's there. That's the time for the reception. That's the time for the party. That's when we do the chicken dance. That's, this is when we celebrate. This is when we have the wedding cake. It's inappropriate. It would be inappropriate to be sad. It's inappropriate to be somber and to long for something that's already here. It's like bringing, uh, it's like Chris Traeger in in Parks and Rec bringing a vegetable loaf to a party when he was told to bring a a cake. Y'all remember that? If you remember that show, Chris Traeger's a real healthy guy. he, He signed up to bring the cake to the party, but he brought a vegetable loaf made of mushrooms and all these nasty things. And, and, uh, Ron Swanson says, were you told to bring vegetable loaf or were you told to bring cake? 
And he said, oh, I was told to bring cake. He goes, so not only have you brought this vile thing into existence, you've deprived the party of cake. When you're at a party, you bring cake. When, you're, when the bridegroom is here, you celebrate, you eat. And, and there's so much in that. You can unpack it for days. Jesus wants more than just a, a, a somewhat close relationship with you. He doesn't want to be somebody you leave at church. He wants to be your bridegroom. He wants you to take him home. He wants to live with you. He wants intimacy with you. And if you have that, he wants to see you celebrate. I, I, I pray, my, one of my prayers for you all is that we would, what, what, for, what Peter says to the dispersed followers of Christ in 1 Peter would be true of you. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And he has filled you with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. May that be true of us all. Please pray with me. Father, I pray that we would not keep Jesus at a safe social distance, but we would embrace him like a bride does her bridegroom. Bring him into all the hurts all the betrayals and all the disappointments so that we could be clean. Pray in Jesus' precious, perfect name. Amen.